If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. The night sky casts its shadow over all of New York City. With the sun away, the creatures of the night return to claim their place in the food chain. Swiftly riding the evening wind, the living vampire Morbius hurriedly heads to his next destination for the evening, taking in the nighttime lights in all their splendor. He swoops up and over a nearby rooftop along his way. But it is then that two hands grab him upon reaching the roof's edge and slam him into an AC unit on the same building top. Dazed for just a moment, Morbius sees the vampire Selene standing on the spot from where he was thrown. Nobody does that to Morbius, he howls. Selene drops down into an action pose guns at the ready and says tonight's your night vampire I'll try to keep this quick as the moon looks down on an upcoming fight of epic proportions it's Nobel Prize winner versus death dealer it's Dr. Morgan Michaels versus the lichen hunter it's Morbius versus Celine today on who would win and welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world 
and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comics, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gabzi, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Stacanis. In today's episode, we are bringing you another unconventional matchup that features vampire on vampire violence. In one corner, you have Morbius, Marvel Comics' ultimate living vampire, versus Celine, the hero from the Underworld film franchise. As usual, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test just to see how many times this match has been discussed, and oddly enough, this exact specific matchup has not been discussed before. There have some been some versions of Morbius versus Selene versus Blade, for example, or similar last person or rather last vampire standing type of situations. But as of now, this is the first official time this fight has been debated in the multiverse. Yeah, I said it, which means it's long overdue for the who would win treatment. Ray, you got to tell me, what are your thoughts on today's battle? I am always excited about today's battle. Look, we went for a little bit of theme this week based on who the judges, I said judges plural, are Intense. and what they're up to. And look, I'm a big fan of the Underworld movies. I've now in the last few days watched every single one of them and the animated short because why not? And it's great vampire action. I did the same thing with the Resident Evil movies for Shocktober. I guess I'm only wanting to do characters these days that allow me to watch a minimum of five movies to prepare. Why do I do this to myself? <laughs> you have a lot of free time. Is actually not something no, I can say about your lifestyle. It's Gaines. really I know, embarrassing. I'm not, how late are you staying up at night to watch these movies? Are you like a three o'clock in the morning type of person? You could argue I myself have become a vampire to prepare for this fight. That explains the paleness. You know, Ray, this is something that actually comes up because we've been going through this whole season back and forth. It's been a real battle. And people have been asking me, I'm sure they've been reaching out asking the same thing. Do we keep track of the number of wins and losses we have? How important is it to win a whole season? I definitely have some thoughts on this. What's your opinion? How do you take a loss? How do you take a win? How competitive are you in trying to win a complete season? Anyone who's heard this show before will understand how deeply competitive, not just I, James Gavsey, but you as well, are. That's fair. Look, how important is it to win a season? It's why we're here. I was disgusted. I was appalled when you pulled a season one victory out of your intoxicating mind fog, and I came back strong in season two to secure the victory for all the Rainiacs, for all the awkward allies out there. I'm here for you again, and going into this battle, there are two battles to go in this season, and wouldn't you know it, I'm in the catbird seat up one battle with two to go. I love the idea of bringing home the vampire battle today and making sure that, let's face it, we all know who you're going to be repping next week, and it's always gone the same way. I'm excited to wrap it up tonight, James, and then let next week be a fun exercise. Let me tell you something, Ray Stacanus. It's been a great season, and I've had what I call the moral victories, the wins that should everyone thought should never have happened, true. and yet somehow I pull out the win. However, with all that being said, I don't care. I want to win an entire I season. You, Look, you were great last season. I was, I got to tell you, I was great the very first season, but that very first season was also your first season of ever doing the show. So I'm kind of like, it was a win, but kind of, and then you came back strong the second season. No, 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 no. I got to win this season. I got to win today's episode. Just even stay in the hunt. And here's the thing. We are insanely, insanely competitive. Legion of audience, in case you're really wondering. How competitive are we? Ray, I don't know about you, but if I lose a matchup, I hit the gym the next day, I crush it. Then I spar with people, I crush them. 
There is a wake of, of massacred people throughout this part of Los Angeles. I may be revealing a little bit too much. Are you the same way? Do people suffer at the hands of Let racing Let me teams? tell you, the times I've lost a battle, I have been so enraged that the next day, I do. I drive right past that gym to a Burger King, and I'll order yes. 20 $25 worth of value uh, meal stuff. I don't feel good afterwards, but at least then my insides feel the same way my insides feel. This narrative broke down, but that's okay. I'll just say <laughs> I don't like it. Listen, Ray, you are, you are the stuff of legends at Burger King throughout Los Angeles, probably crown. throughout the world. That's true. Now, look, speaking of legends, it's actually time for us to introduce our guest judges making their first appearance on the Who Would Win show. For the first time ever, two judges on the same show. I can't believe we're doing this, Ray, but why not? You know them from Vampire the Masquerade, Port Saga, the audio drama podcast that everyone loves. It's Rachel J. Wilkinson and Dan Geist. Rachel and Dan, welcome to Who Would Win. Welcome. Thanks Happy for to be having us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, listen, we've never done this before. I'm a little excited. I'm a little nervous. How do we know, before we kind of talk about how great both of you are, how do we know you guys are going to be able to work well together? Well, we have been married for 11 years at this point. Right, but how are we going to know you're going to work well together? I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we're st we're still think... alive. We haven't murdered each other yet. That's a plus. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. All right, uh, listen, we were talking before the show, and uh, Ray and I are big fans of uh, Port Saga. We think it's an amazing, amazing show, uh, and everyone should be checking it out. You know, you were alluding to some of the one, two, or several thousand hats that both of you wear to produce this show. So please regale the Legion of Audience, our fan base, with what goes in, what you guys do to create such an amazing show. Well, everything. <laughs> That's pretty much the easiest Great. way to put it. Yes, yes, producer, writer, sound designer, editor, voice actor, marketer. Uh, Dayan shows up occasionally and says stuff into He's a mic. He's also there. Yeah, and, and then he leaves and then leaves me to do everything else. But yeah, so. So essentially, Rachel needed, uh, Rachel put together this giant thing. It's got 18 characters. It's 10 episodes long and needed a lead actor that she could uh, essentially, you know, pay with food and so i said sure so uh I, I think the reason i am here is because hey you know i got a nice i got a nice little voice but also i was willing to work for free uh and so while rachel would be staying up late editing and recording i would make sure she got fed i would pay the bills i would take care of the house and the cats yeah. and all that jazz <laughs> so uh and then of course helping to promote it on social media which i think we're both a little terrible at but we're, we're getting better we're, we're trying better. we're working at it yeah. Listen, you guys have such a great product. Of course, the Legion of Audience and the Who Would Win fan base is going to jump all over this because we love great stuff. You know, I, I, I'm just picturing, you know, married couple and all that. Did, did you actually have to audition? Oh, no. This no, Rachel, no? Rachel, really? okay. Rachel said, we're doing this podcast and you're going to do this thing for me. And I said, OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we did. We did have some rehearsal. Let's call it that rehearsal. Right. So I came in. On, I came in on the air quotes. Air I, quotes rehearsal. I came it. in on day one with the, like this, you know, John Wick, dark Batman voice. And I'm going to be all badass and, you know, the terror of the night. And, and she's like, no, 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 no. Titus. Titus Reed is the bottom of the food chain. Bottom of the food chain. He's got a long way to go. He's not he's not Batman yet. He's he's maybe a Robin. And maybe like oh a Jason gosh. Todd Robin. Oh like, I mean, <laughs> that's sort of where we started well, that's my, at. That's my favorite Robin. How, can, so, how dare I mean, we've, <laughs> we've talked all about how you made it and how your process is, but let's let the people at home actually know what is Port Saga. I was getting to that, Ray. Yeah, but yeah you, you know what we should do. We should lead with let... that, James. What are you talking about? 
because they're very entertaining. I have a process here, Race to Canis. Now let's talk about what the show's about. So tell our fan base what what is Port Saga in its entirety. Regale them with what it is. So Vampire the Masquerade, Port Saga, is the very first audio drama for Vampire the Masquerade. And it focuses on the clan Malkavian, which is unique in and of itself because you get a lot of Torridor, you get a lot of Ventru, but it's not too often that... Uh, we, we tackle the Malkavians. And so it is a story about Titus Reed, who Dan played in it, and his sire has been murdered. And it is, um, we start the story by him going to the memorial, going to the funeral, where he finds out it was one of his former coterie mates, one of his BFFs, that allegedly killed his sire. So yeah, then he spends the rest of the show what treading water try, trying <laughs> to find out who killed the sire and getting just brutalized by a city full of vampires awesome awesome <laughs> <laughs> you know it, we had riley silverman on the show uh several episodes ago she was fantastic by the way uh, the whole team thinks she's like a top five judge ever on the who and win show no pressure for both of you yeah no she's, pressure <laughs> she's great thanks <laughs> thanks guys appreciate it <laughs> Yeah, where do you guys go after ten episodes? What's the big picture here? So the the plan now uh, we're we're going to take a little retreat over the weekend, and uh, Rachel has uh, sort of mapped out an idea for season two, and so I'm I, I'm going to help her a little bit, but essentially mostly that just means writing down notes and making sure like all of the thought threads get uh, put on a on a post it note. Uh, but the plan at the moment is to to, to do a season two. Yeah, season back- two where mm-hmm. we have. I, I've, I've been saying that the themes are, what, retribution and revenge? Was that what I, I mm-hmm. said it the other day? I can't remember what it was now, but it is definitely about power struggles. It's going to be about what is justice. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm excited about it. But the plan is to try and bring back, uh, bring back uh, most of the original cast and maybe in, even some new folks, because uh, uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of old plot threads that got created that never really got solved in that mm-hmm. first season. So we're going to try and wrap up some of them. But, uh, I was very point. hopeful. I, I I was writing with the season two in mind. So, well, I don't think you can ever do that, right? You can't say, "Yeah, it's just one season." Then we're good, right? Like, yeah, no, one, no. You know, especially what when something starts building picking up. here. What are we doing? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we are so happy to have you both on the show. This is again a first time that we've ever had two judges on. We have two insane characters. It's vampire versus vampire. First time ever on the Who Would Win show for a lot of things. With all that being said, Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing Marvel Comics, the living vampire with no friends. I think it might be because of his bat breath. Morbius. And representing the Underworld franchise, the vampire who just won't leave the mall. You might say she got stuck at Forever 21. Celine. So I'm going to declare victory right now based off the facial expressions of both of our judges. Would that, is that, would that be a correct statement? That you know, sometimes, James, these are thinkers, and I just have to embrace that. Gotcha. Okay, speaking of air quotes, well done, Ray. Air quotes. Before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a Who Would Win match. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the Who Would Win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Now, Ray, 
you talked about, you know, there's an animated version, there's the film version, there possibly are some other versions. What version of Celine are you going with? Look, I'm just going with the canon version of Celine. She was in five, basically just four though, underworld movies, as well as this animated 20 minute uh, thing that kind of appeared to kind of be a little bridge between the storylines that they were telling. And that it's all canon to the character. So I'm sticking with all that. Very cool. Okay, I was actually really considering going with the version of Morbius from the iconic uh, 1990s Amazing Spider-Man or uh, Spider-Man cartoon series. Pretty good. Yeah, it was really, really good. Great character. I decided to go against it last minute because if I went with the Marvel 616 version, last the current minute. comic book, it's crazy. There just seems to be a little bit more material to draw upon, so I'll be going with the current comic book version, of which wow. appears in the Marvel Universe. Me, I know. me my shocked face. James uses the comic book version? Wow! Insane. Why not? It's a, it's a show for first, Ray. All right, now rule number four. Debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long-established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed to be given less weight. Rule number five. The winner of the debate is whomever the judges decide has the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or even battlefield removal. And finally, rule number six. The judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or established logic. Feel free to check out the official rules on our website, whowouldwinshow.com. And before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Who Would Win store. Get your official Who Would Win t-shirts, mugs, and merchandise by going to whowouldwinshow.com and clicking on the merch section. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes, you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And now, let's get to the tale of the tape for both of our combatants. 
Ray, please give us the details on Celine. Celine is a vampire death dealer who has spent hundreds of years hunting the lichen or werewolves. She is played by Kate Beckinsale, was created by Kevin Grivo, Len Weissman, and Danny McBride, and first appeared in the 2003 movie Underworld. Celine was born in the late 1300s to a master stonemason. Her father was tasked with building a prison to house the first werewolf, and upon completion of said prison, the elder vampire Victor murdered her entire family, sparing Celine only because she reminded him of his own daughter. He also told her that the lichen did all that murdering. So after turning her into a vampire a little later in life, he sent her on a crusade to kill all the remaining werewolves in the world. Celine is strong, quick, well-armed, and has been doing this for centuries. Fun fact, the Underworld franchise is pretty well tied in with lead actor Kate Beckinsale. But did you know that even though she embodies the role of Celine, she wasn't the original first choice? Yep, the original first choice considered for Celine was Halle Berry. In what would have been a totally different movie, the Storm actress was replaced with Beckinsale, but don't worry about Halle Berry. Instead of doing Underworld, she opted at the very same time to play Catwoman. So, good Brilliant. job. Anyway, Brilliant. that is Celine. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. How are you going to turn know, down Celine and do that movie instead? That is that is rough, Halle Berry. Thankfully, you got it all back. That's right up there with uh, Will Smith uh, turning down uh, The Matrix. Oh, sure. Right? That's. I mean, that's – but listen, Will Smith seems to be doing okay. Halle Berry is always going to be fantastic. But, yeah, questionable uh, professional choices. Yeah, but he turned part. down The Matrix to make Wild Wild West, and I think we can all agree that is a cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> Nine out of ten uh, movie critics all agree Wild Wild West is a movie. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's what they would What's say. What's wrong right. with that tenth one? It is a movie. Come on, dude. <laughs> it's all good. Okay, well done right now. Here's who, the details. Who doesn't like giant robot uh, spiders? Thank you. Everyone loves the giant robot spider. I just love the character arc that spider had, too. Right? <laughs> just, you know, for the tears of joy. All right, now, here are the details for Morbius. Morbius first appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man number 101 back in October of 1971 and was created by Roy Thomas and Gil Kane. Michael Morbius was a Greek biochemist who suffered from a rare blood disease. He developed an experimental cure using the blood of bats, but when he tested it on himself, it did more than just cure him. It transformed him into a living vampire. Still possessed of his intellect and humanity, Morbius was nevertheless drawn into periodic bouts of bloodlust where he would strike out and attack whatever prey he could find, including humans. This madness marked him as a supervillain for many years, although recently he has gained better control over it. Morbius has transitioned over the years from the epitome of edgy 90s comics uh, villain to anti-hero to a much more kind and compassionate person, but he's still willing to literally tear people apart and get his hands dirty in a fight any time it's needed. And here's an interesting fact about Morbius. Did you know that Morbius was supposed to have made an appearance on film almost 20 years ago? It's true. Sure, we're all looking forward to Jared Leto's performance as Morbius in the upcoming film. However, Morbius was supposed to appear in Blade 2, released back in 2002, as the main villain of the film. Remember, Morbius has quite a bit of history with Marvel's Vampire Hunter Blade, so it all kind of makes sense. Scripts were written, plans were made, thoughts on actors were being discussed with casting directors. And then all that got scrapped at the last minute for the movie we actually got, which wasn't bad, by the way. But looking back, I kind of think Morbius definitely would have been the better way to go. 
Now, you have the facts on both opponents. Rachel and Dan, do you have any questions before we get started? No, I am I'm excited for this. I, there, there are things that I like about both of them. So right now, it is an even playing field. No, so you're no. saying before the battle starts, it's even. <clears throat> I'm so it sorry is. to hear that. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. Well, they, they don't realize. I have, like, this sort of love of science. And so, like, the science side of Morbius is really like, Rachel, pick me. So... <laughs> I mean, I think we've just won the battle right there. I think the decision's been made a second time. Ray, I'm not even sure you're Nobel Prize winner, come on. Thank you. Genius. Grease. You know, the whole thing. All right. Let's get this party started. Ray, go ahead and hit us with your point number one. Point number one for Celine. Let's just talk a little bit about her vampiric powers. Because as I mentioned in the preview, she is very, very strong, very, very fast, very, very durable, and comes armed for bear. Is that a term? I think it is. So one of the a few of the things that Celine has been able to do, she's been able to hold up, I believe Michael is his name, and he's a hybrid of a lichen and a vampire together in one body. And she ends up falling in love with him, but didn't know all that at this time. She ends up grabbing him and holding him up in the air with one hand. Now to do that to a normal person requires a high level of strength. To do that to a mystical beast of a creature requires even higher levels of strength. And she's been doing this a really, really long time. In the movies, she once walked over to an SUV, got a little bit of a head start, and she was able to flip over the entire SUV onto somebody. You can't just do that walking around in the streets. Okay, look, I know James Gavsey can, but the rest of us mere mortals are not able to do that. And if you can flip over SUVs on people, I think you got a pretty good chance in a fight. Not just that, one of my favorite things that she does all the time is jump from very, very high places and then gracefully feather fall, for all you D&D players out there, feather fall your way down onto the ground and strike a little fancy superhero pose. So I know that Morbius can fly. I know that Celine cannot fly, but we're not going to get into a situation where Morbius is going to swoop down, grab Celine, fly her up into the air, and then drop her, and then have bad things happen to Celine. We've proven in the movies over and over again, it does not matter how far she falls. She will land gracefully, so I want to take that argument off the table before James even starts. Heck, she's thrown a vampire and shattered stone pillars with it. We've seen her move so fast. There was a guy, a special agent guy, who was decked out in like SWAT gear with a machine gun, who was in, I'll say, medium range, you know, a good 20 yards away, and he's shooting at her on this rooftop, and he did not hit a single one of these bullets. She just ran, darted around it, dodged a machine gun at medium range, which is awfully hard to do. And even when you hit her, she's tanked a shotgun blast. She takes a shotgun blast. She's tanked other types of firearms before. And what does she do? She drinks a little bit of blood or takes a little bit of the power inside of her and then pulls that Wolverine from Logan move where the bullet just forces its way out of her head or forces its way out of her body and falls to the ground around her. So I'm just not sure what kind of damage she's going to take. That's going to be able to keep her down. And then a couple other interstitial things. She once jumped over a 20-foot fence. She's known for her leaping ability as well. So even though, again, Morbius can fly and she cannot, she can still leap great distances and won't be hurt when she falls. And the last thing I want to mention right here was a really neat thing that happened in the last movie where she was fighting a werewolf, a big old werewolf guy, a powerful one at that, and she was able to dodge out of the way of his cage-fighting attack reached in and yanked out his spine from behind. 
She's pulling Sub-Zero for Mortal Kombat moves, not just on regular people, but giant werewolves. And I'm sorry, if you can just reach out and rip out the spine of a werewolf, surely you can rip that ugly nose off of Morbius. And that's my point number one. First of all, he has a classical Shakespearean nose. Well, it actually should be there. Yeah, he has no nose right now. It's been He's got off, Voldemort's nose, James. It's just yeah. not appealing. It would have been nice if it was there. But, you know, hey, that, whatever. We, we all do each other. You know, you do you kind of thing. All right, so quick question. So Celine can fall from what height specifically? Are we talking, like, from the clouds, whatever? Look, I think she's very durable. She's fantastic. But what is the highest height that Celine can be taken? Look, we've seen her fall off of very, very tall skyscraper buildings and then perfectly land. I mean, that's the thing. Is she's falling down elevator shafts. She's falling off the top. Not even fall. She just gracefully jumps off the top of these buildings. She's always in control. So I don't think it matters. At some point, she's going to reach a very high level of speed, except she won't. That's the whole point of the feather fall. Got it, but she doesn't have, like, telekinesis or some way to slow her fall down, correct? Nah, it's just mystical vampire powers. Ooh. I don't know if they're mystical. I almost think they're, like, a really cool, like, not science-based stuff based in myth. I have no idea. All right. Now, you said that uh, there was, a, because you're such a connoisseur of the films, a uh, special agent guy. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. That there main was character. A, there were a whole bunch of kind of foot soldiers. They were decked out in a hunk from Resident Evil gear, and they were all in machine guns, and they were bringing the heat, and they were just running around, killing all vampires, leaving the werewolves alone. It's a plot point. And, yep. and she was able to get away from him. Got it. And that's a regular human being, correct? So she was able to Well, a very specially faster. trained soldier. I mean, I don't know, James. I'm, I'm ashamed in, on behalf of our armed forces. You would just refer to these specimens, well-trained human beings, as just a regular human being. These are the elite among us, James. God bless America. You know, I, I stand corrected. The, you know, Ray Canis, the current uh, record holder for most, what do they have at Burger King? Oh, they have a lot. They have a lot of value uh, menu items. That is yeah, the current uh, title holder for most volume. They put my picture on the wall. Um, That's no. That's not you. That's actually the Burger King with the crown. I get us mistaken all the time. It's all good. It's the same thing. Same thing. You're brothers. Let's talk about. In my point number one, Morbius's power. So Morbius is called a living vampire. So back when the idea of Morbius was being kicked around in the you know late '60s, early '70s, and that whole idea was coming around, Stanley said, "Hey, we need a vampire." But, you know, that's Stan Lee, and Stan Lee's like, but we need to have a different take on a vampire. Let's create, you know, I don't know, a vampire through science. And that was the whole genesis of Morbius. So when they kind of created the character, they said, well, Morbius can have some vampiric type of capabilities and powers, but let's give him something a little bit different and maybe even enhance his powers a little bit more. So with that being said, Morbius, of course, has super strength, super speed, crazy durability. He is pretty much immortal as well, and he has a super fast healing factor. Let me kind of break this down a little bit more. So... The thing is, it's not just regular super strength. Hit, running into a van, flipping it, awesome, impressive. That is nothing compared to what Morbius can do. In terms of super strength, he's able to keep up with Venom. Now, Venom is that cool character. It's that symbiote that bonds with other characters, one of Spider-Man's main villains. And Venom can press about 70 tons to about 110 tons. He's a powerhouse. And I'm not saying Morbius can lift that much, but he's able to keep up and take shots, give shots, and kind of play strength for strength with a character of that power level. That's hugely impressive. If that wasn't enough, in terms of strength, 
Morbius can tear apart Spider-Man's webs. Now, Spider-Man's webs, it's actually really cool. They have the tensile strength of steel and can stop a lot of other villains very quickly. Morbius, if he ever gets hit by him, just literally rips him apart, in Spider-Man's words, like tissue paper. So, on top of all that, let's talk about his, uh, you know, speed. So, of course, Morbius can move at super speed. And he can pull that cool disappearing act where he's in front of someone and just vanishes, kind of like what Selene did with that special agent's uh, soldier. Uh, special forces soldier, I should say. However, the difference here is Morbius does that to Spider-Man. Now, I'm bringing up Spider-Man a lot because these two have a big history together. That's a great way to kind of give a baseline. So Spider-Man's looking at Morbius, and Morbius is moving so fast, Spider-Man can't track him. In fact, the only thing that enables Spider-Man to figure out where Morbius is and where he isn't is his spider sense. If he didn't have that, Spider-Man admits, I couldn't follow where this person's going because of how fast they're moving. All right, let's talk about this. He's also immortal. I believe Selene is as well, so that might be a wash. Uh, here's another one. Morbius is immune to all these typical vampire diseases. Sunlight's not going to bother him. He's a daywalker. Uh, you know, crosses, holy water, all that kind of good stuff. None of that matters to him. Silver nitrate, nothing. None of that's going to phase him whatsoever. He can take it and keep on moving. So what we've got here is a living vampire. None of the weaknesses, enhanced versions of all the other, you know, what's, sorry, enhanced powers of, uh, you know, comparably to all the other vampires that are out there. And someone who also still has an ability to use blood, power up, and do all that kind of cool stuff. On a power for power baseline kind of thing, it's pretty clear Morbius is slightly at a different level than Celine. That's my point number one. Very interesting. So you're kind of coming with a lot of the same attacks that I'm coming with here, but I have a couple of things I need to say. First off, you talk about Morbius being a science-based vampire. Now, one of the problems I have when using a science character versus a magic character is we talk about this all the time. Science has an upper limit to how far it can go because it needs to be grounded in reality, whereas magic can take you on a rainbow journey to wherever you need it to take you to, which means that the upper limit of a magic-based character like Selene obviously to anybody who would listen would probably have an upper limit to a science-based character and Morbius. And the other one I want to ask is now Morbius has lost fights to Spider-Man before, correct? He has had some losses to Spider-Man. Interesting. I do, think, I do think in the bigger picture kind of thing, I do believe he's ahead He's ahead, but he definitely has lost to Spider-Man, a strong, nimble character who can't fly and has equipment. I just want to make sure it's on the record that this is something that has happened to the character you're referring to. That is on the record. It hasn't hmm. happened recently because of some of the cool things that Morbius has been going through as a character. But in like the early 70s and early 80s, yeah, there was a lot of back and forth. Morbius did come out on top quite a I Interesting. Believe, and, more, and that's known as maybe one of the, the weakest Spider-Mans, I believe, uh, as far as power level goes. Am I wrong? Yeah, that's right. You are wrong. Yeah, that was when Spider-Man actually beat the Juggernaut. But keep, keep continue, right? Well, he beat the Juggernaut. He got him to fall into a pool of cement. I mean, you know, come on. He didn't beat him. He did. According to who would win, he lost. I mean, that's fair. According to who would win, he would have won yeah. that, yes. <laughs> okay, good. So listen. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I'm finding this so funny. All right, so Rachel and Dan, you've heard points number one from both Ray and myself. Where are your heads at right now? Who do you think is ahead in this battle? I do have one question. So to be clear, Morbius has none of the vulnerabilities of a typical vampire? That is correct. Dang, yo. That's... I mean, that's huge. That's huge alone. So I actually have this very interesting take where I'm thinking about the Vampire the Masquerade disciplines mm -hmm. because they are awash when it comes to potence. They both seem to have potence, but it's a fortitude with Selene versus celerity with Morbius. 
So, like, it seems like Ray's point is Celine can take falls and punches and do all of this stuff that would normally flatten a regular person's body, but she is able to walk away from it looking sexy and graceful. So... It's it's sort of like, yeah, so the Ventru have this ability to keep coming back over and over and over and over again. But it doesn't matter if Celine can't get a hit in on Morbius because he's too fast. He's going to like, you know, Neo Matrix, the bullet thing that. So that's so my, my opinion. So my take on it right now is is you have Morbius, who is uh, incredibly intelligent, and you have Celine, who is incredibly tactical and has... What is it? When when was she born? 1400s? 1300s. All right. So like 700, 700 years. 700 years. 700 years of doing nothing except hunting down werewolves. So like uh, Morbius appears to be a little stronger. Uh, Selena appears to be a little more tough. But like they, they have sort of two different strategies that I'm, I'm sort of curious where, where they would like mash up against each other. Right now, it's it's a wash for me. Interesting, interesting. All right, this is good. So this is how we typically start off. It's kind of like we're we're feeling each other out here, but now the big we're just sparring in up. round one anyway. That's right. The gambling's happening. People are getting excited. They want to see what's you know some knockout shots, and here they come. Ray, go ahead and hit us with your point number two. Point number two. I want to talk about the fact that Celine is a death dealer, and she's not afraid to go for the kill. Now, she has no problem killing people. She does it over and over again with humans, vampires, and the lichen werewolves in all of these underworld properties. And she occasionally does so in horrifically violent ways. One of those soldiers that she was fighting on that rooftop scene that I mentioned earlier, she smashed his helmeted head on a railing of a fire escape and then bent his spine backwards to the point where he was folded at the waist area the wrong way and just left him there in a pile as she made her way through these special ops soldiers heck one time she killed a vampire with just one punch if you could kill somebody with one punch i would argue how many do you need to land just the one <laughs> so it's okay that he's a little bit faster maybe maybe and there was one scene she was being hunted down by a guy with a flamethrower another special op soldier because obviously flames no good versus really anybody but especially vampires and what did she do she did a cool move where she ran up the wall next to him in this alleyway did a flip over his back and then threw this explosive disc into the uh, the flamethrower pack at his back and just ignited him, just sent him on his way to the afterlife, courtesy of a big ol' boom. Because she uses a lot of tech. My understanding of Morbius is, even though he's a science-based character, doesn't walk around with a lot of gadgetry. He tends to just use his claws, he just tends to use his fangs and his natural uh, flight abilities, which is great. But that's all stuff... Th being who she is, that Celine's fought 10 ways to Sunday every single day of her life, seemingly, because she uses a lot of tech. She loves her automatic pistols. She rocks around with two of them, and these are the kind of crazy pistols. She tends to use them at very close range, and she tends to get right up in on somebody using her speed, and when she pulls the trigger, like 900 bullets come out of it. It's the craziest guns I've ever seen anywhere. I don't know where these bullets are being kept, quite honestly. Maybe these guns are magical, and they just didn't tell us, because she'll walk right up to somebody, and she'll pull the trigger and 
Just a whole trail of bullets will fly into this person, completely eradicating them. You can take one bullet if you're Morbius. Can you take 70 in three seconds? These are the questions we have to ask ourselves, which he also uses these razor discs, which are silver-based. She uses silver weapons to kill to, to kill werewolves, she would also use UV weapons, which they have in this movie, to kill vampires. Now, the interesting thing is those UV weapons will not work against Morbius because he does not have the weaknesses of vampires. She might try it. She's going to see it's not working. She's going to have to do other things like when she just grabs the top of a werewolf and rips his head off from the jawline. Like, that's the type of violence that she perpetrates on these people. She also uses grenades as well so she can kind of maneuver around and maybe get more Morbius into a place she wants him to be through using grenades to kind of get him away from where he is. But she's also very, very crafty. The last thing I want to talk about is she uses her environment very, very well. There's one point when there's werewolves coming at her. So what does she do? She takes her very powerful pistols, shoots a hole around her in the floor, knocks the floor down to the lower level, and then runs on her way to get away from him. And a second time in a different movie, there's this giant elevator that's about to fall on her in a shaft. So she shoots up at the elevator a circle, forms a power pose, and then the floor of the elevator, when it lands, disintegrates around her, also causing her to be okay. Master of environmental uses, Celine, and that's my point number two. Interesting stuff. Again, it just kind of displays the awesomeness of this character. These movies are so much fun to watch. Um, it's hard for me to even kind of debate against her because in any other matchup, I'd say, let me try to figure out a way she can use strategy, what have you, to win. The, let me kind of go where show you where I'm going with this. How many times in the films has she been up against an opponent and decided a, I don't know, strategic retreat might be the best option? You know, she has done that before in the past. Traditionally, though, she's not going to do that in a one-on-one -on -one encounter. Once she gets to the point where she's got you in her in her sights one-on-one, -on -one, she's going in for the kill. When she's going to take off, it's usually because there's like 10 werewolves and she just doesn't want to deal with it in that moment or she's trying to protect somebody, which she would not be here. But you're right, but she's smart enough to say, obviously, she's hyper-intelligent, vampire, lives since the 1300s. She's capable to say, like, hey, the odds are against me right now, or this isn't worth my time to do it because I've got a bigger objective. I'm out. Right? Uh, you know, I don't think that's a very good argument because we know that these two are fighting, and when she gets one-on-one, -on -one, she tends to finish the deal. So, I wish she did it all the time, but sometimes she does make a strategic, a smart strategic retreat. Okay, let me ask you some questions. Very important. This is a real scientific-based question. What noise does a trail of bullets sound like again? I knew you were going to ask me that, and you got to rewind the tape. I do not do repeats. Okay, that's fair. It was, it, it was lovely, by the way. That was a great. I think it was accurate, too. I mean, that's deadly accurate. Yeah, I'm surprised I haven't been hired as a Foley uh, uh, operator at this point. You know, That's true. Uh, I you might have a job for you. Oh, excellent. <laughs> if you're using my gun effects in Port Saga Season 2, I'm just so sorry about what happened to the quality of your show. Uh, I'm going to recommend as an outside consultant, if you want a Season 3, you may want to go in a different direction for gun noises. Just putting that out there. <laughs> just putting that out there. All right. Uh, and last point, I do like the fact that she uses geometry and shapes and circles and other cool stuff to help her escape. That's just a, a great thing to do overall as a character. All right, let me get to my point number two. Uh, you know, I, I got to talk about this a little bit more. I, I got to go into a little bit more in depth into Morbius's powers because this is where I need to kind of show the extra cool stuff he's got. And this is kind of explain the insanity that is Morbius. But before I do that, we were talking about science versus magic. And Ray, that's a great point. You know, magic sometimes has an upper limit. Here's the deal, though. Morbius is no longer considered a scientific being. 
Why? Because he's now part of a group or has been part of a group called the Midnight Suns. Uh, this team was formed, I think it was by Ghost Rider and a couple other versions of Ghost Rider and Doctor Strange with some other cool supernatural characters to fight Lilith, the mother of all demons in the Marvel Universe, who's about to invade the Earth. And who did they recruit? Morbius. Not Blade, not Dracula. They, they included Morbius because they felt that he had this great tie into the supernatural and they felt he was, in fact, a supernatural being, even though he was created using scientific means. It's just this craziness to this character. Let's go into his powers. Of course, we mentioned that he can fly. And yeah, I do think he's going to be able to use this combatively in a really cool way. Now, of course, Selene can, has dealt with flyers before. Morbius is a little bit different. They're not wings. They're not something you can tear off. This is just something he can do psionically where he can ride wind, where he can just propel himself. And he's a lot more agile. Remember, he's fighting people like Spider-Man, Blade, and what have you. So when he flies, it's part of his combative ability as opposed to just having to fly in and swoop down. No, he'll hit, move away, hit again. It's something he knows how to do really, really well. Let's see. He can use echolocation like a bat, which is really cool. He's also going has got enhanced senses of sight. He can see longer distances. He can see in complete darkness. He can see in infrared, allow him to go full like you know predator almost where you can see the uh you know the body heat of people let's see he's also got you know durability that's really needing a better explanation so here's the deal he actually has fights against a character named ghost rider now ghost rider is someone who's beaten galactus he's actually gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with thor this is one of the heavyweights of the marvel universe and of course morbius has gone toe-to-toe -to -toe and actually stalemated ghost rider before and survived ghost riders you know he's a demon with some powers of hell fueling him and morbius has gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with these chains coming at him trying to hurt him crush him the whole thing morbius dealt with the chains escaped them again pretty good show of durability on Morbius's part. Let's see. He's also got this super-powered telepathic hypnotism. Now, I know Selene's got willpower beyond belief, but again, in a really cool storyline, Morbius was able to hypnotize Spider-Man and completely control him for a while. Why is this significant? Because Spider-Man in the Marvel Universe is considered actually to have some of the strongest willpower of any character out there. Now, I'm not saying Selene does not have strong willpower, but it's just something that could be a factor in that. This is actually kind of insane. He can liquefy himself and slip through tight uh, spaces. He can stretch his arms out like Mr. Fantastic or Plastic Man to a degree. And then he can use his hands or appendages as stabbing implements, as weapons, as different ways to attack at super speed in all these crazy shapes or forms. This is just insanity. Let's see. Of course, he's got his fangs and he can he bites into people all the time. Now, what's really cool about this is that when he bites into someone, he he drains, he can drink their blood, but he can also drain their life force separately. It's an interesting thing. Now, when he does this, he can do this to superpowered people, gain their life force, gain enhance his powers of his own. And what happens at that point when he does this to, say, a werewolf? Where he's done this to uh, werewolves that exist in the Marvel Universe, when he bites them, drains their life force, the werewolves revert back to human because he chooses to do that. When he did this to a character named the Lizard, which is uh, you know a big time opponent of Spider-Man, it's a huge humanoid lizard. Of course, Morbius bites into him, drains his you know some of his life force. What happens to the lizard? Reverts back to a human. I gotta wonder if he bites Celine. Does Selene revert back to a human and outside of her vampire? I have no idea. Just a thought there because it's happened before in Marvel. And here is my favorite one because if this wasn't all enough, let's go with something a little small. He has this one tiny little power. It's almost insignificant. I feel weird even mentioning it because it may not even be a factor in this fight. Here it is. Morbius can return from death. Small little power thing he's got. Yeah, just <laughs> something he can do. And he returns from death in like under a minute and he's back good to go. If you can somehow hurt him, harm him, 
kill him somehow, which is insanely rare. Knock him down is insanely hard to do. Keeping him down? Yeah, not going to happen. That's my point number two. Very interesting points you're going to make here. What I hear you saying when you say he can return from death is he can be easily killed. That's really all I hear when you say that. Well, how come he has to return from death, James? Oh, because people keep killing him. Kind of important. You <laughs> talked about the willpower. Look, Celine is no fun at parties. She's been killing werewolves for 600 plus years. She's not exactly the most delightful personality in the entire world. So when it comes to willpower, she is single-minded in focus and you know you talk about oh morbius can turn into goo don't worry i've seen Celine turn vampires into goo before so i believe we're all on the same page here of what she's going to do to him and oh he can see body heat that's not going to help at all she's a vampire we've talked about this before the big thing i want to bring up here between the two is that you've said it yourself james morbius is trying to retain his humanity morbius is trying to be a good person celine hasn't learned a darn thing in five movies plus an animated <laughs> short she still does not see people as her equals she still uses everyone around her and she still murders in the final movie just as hard as she murders in the first movie so when it talks about holding your humanity dear and the go there factor celine will go there I also think that her sure her moral compass is really in play in all throughout the movies. That's why you love this character so much because she has such a strong moral compass. Why am I arguing for Celine right now? Is what I'm trying to figure out. Celine Keep is going. Awesome. Don't let me stop. You, you are a monster, Race to Canis. That's what I'm trying to say that. about that. We're at the turning point. Rachel and Dan, you've heard two points from Ray. You've heard two points from me. Tell us who is ahead in this battle and what the other character has to do to pull out ahead. I don't, I don't want to talk over a day. I'm going to give him a chance. But I do have a question about the rules. Mm -hmm. I have a question. Where are they fighting? Isn't there a rule that has them in, like, fighting in the void? They are considered to be fighting in a neutral location so that there is no natural and inherent advantage for one over the other. Now, you as the judges get to decide in the mind's eye where they are fighting to you. And that is really the most important thing. I think, Dan, we have, to, we have to sort of figure that out because Ray's point is that she uses her environment. But if the environment is an alley with nothing to jump around on, then that point doesn't apply anymore. I think in my, in my brain, when I'm picturing this fight, it's definitely in a city. It's like mm -hmm. a deserted city. You know, uh, it's at night, obviously, because if it were during the day, it'd be a very quick fight. You know, but for me, it's it's definitely an urban environment. All right, so we're at least going. I, I'm to I'm also stay... starting to think that Morbius is definitely a Tremere. Yes, <laughs> yes, I did. I did shift over there. Well, okay, so we're going. So, so we're going to say like what alleyway, sort of a. If I say Gotham, is everyone going to scream at me because it's a wrong universe, Rachel? <laughs> or, or are they going to think you're fantastic for bringing that up? <laughs> For all you know, they've been shouting Gotham at their uh, yeah. radios for yeah. the last like two minutes. By the so. way, Batman's not a popular character at all within the Who Would Win audience. Would not be something <laughs> could say ever. So feel free. So I think it, I think it starts in an alley, but like I can picture Morbius flying around, and uh, you know, Celine is like running up the sides of Will. You know, yeah, it starts building. where it starts yeah, where yeah. Ray lives in an alley, yeah. and then it kind of goes out to a nicer place <laughs> where you find. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Cool. So. Right now, like uh, I'm looking at this, and and Morbius has a has a lot of tricks up his sleeve. I was not aware that he could like 
turn into a liquid state. That he was a phoenix? S- stretch out his arms and, you know. I mean, well, I, the phoenix point is like, he dies. And then what she, I mean, she's just going to camp the spawn point and then just keep shooting Killing into him over it, and right? over again. <laughs> so, like, for me, it's if he can close the distance, she's in trouble. But if she can keep moving and and thrown out, uh, you know, her, her her bullets, she might have a chance. For me, right now, Morbius has a slight advantage, only Ooh. because only because he has fewer vulnerabilities, and he's a pretty smart guy. But it's real slight. That's my take. Rachel, are you in agreement with that? Kind of. Ooh. I got it. I got it. I mean, it. Listen, like the reason that vampires are terrified of people and because let's get down to that whole idea that vampires are supposed to be hiding from people is because of the sun because there are some very simple things that will smoke them in an instant fire sunlight some of them can't walk into churches some you know so if Celine is still affected by all of these things and Morbius is not that's a that's a huge gulf between them but they do dress the same. They do have a certain uh, a similar uh, fashion sense. They have the mm-hmm. same tailor. That is correct. Well, you can't be a vampire without wearing black and red. That's sure. right. Yeah. And Morbius was doing the whole rolled up sleeves thing that we see popular today. He was doing that in like the uh, 80s. So he's actually ahead of the curve. That means nothing, by the way, to this fight. I just thought it would be a fun thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So I think Morbius is slightly ahead, but it doesn't mean that Celine yeah. couldn't pull out a victory by doing I something. I think what Celine would need to do is find a way to overcome Morbius's like offensive abilities. Right. I think he's if super- she can get him down, because you're right, it's it's the camp, the spawn point. Mm-hmm. Like even if if once he's dead, he's he's just going to be dead over and over and over again. Right, but he's so strong. He takes one bite into her, and I don't know what happens to her. Like, does she revert to a corpse? Does, I mean, she's not going to be back to being a human. But I don't know what happens if if he's able to drain her life force. I don't know what happens. So, like, if if she can prevent him from closing the distance, I think she has a chance. But I don't know how she does that yet. Okay, here we go. Ray, we've been here before. I've had this slightly sure a have. number of times, and you still pull out the victory. I'm really interested to see what you're about to do here. Go ahead and hit us with your point number three. Point number three, let's just talk about the massively amazing things that Celine has done and how they would directly relate to a fight with Morbius. Now, first off, you talk about the draining, and if he gets a bite into her, what would happen? You know, in the world of Underworld, generally, if you're biting somebody, it means you've already defeated them. So that doesn't really tend to happen in the context of battle very often, where two these two are just fighting each other, and all of a sudden one just clamps on with their jaws and just starts drinking away. It's just not a thing that tends to happen, so I don't think it's a thing that would happen here. If he's biting into her for blood, it means she's already been beaten, and so I'm not even going to worry about it at that point. Now, a few of the things that she's done. She fights giant monsters, you know? We often see Morbius, and when he's fighting, he's fighting human opponents or slightly superhuman opponents but we've seen her fight legitimate monsters like that 20 foot lichen that she fights in a very small chamber and she's able to overcome a gigantic super werewolf 
werewolf-style monster. Heck, at one point, she fought against Victor, and this is at the end of the very first Underworld movie. Now, Victor was the very first vampire. He's the Kane, if I was to take this to the Vampire the Masquerade world. He is the very first vampire, ergo the most powerful of them all. And what did she do? She beat him down a little bit and then sliced off, not his head, a piece of his head with a bladed weapon and he didn't even know he was dead until like five seconds later. This is some real Fist of the North Star stuff that she's doing with her weapons. And so, look, if you can kill Kane, I gotta believe you can kill Morbius, who is definitely not as powerful as the first ever vampire. She also drank the blood from the first immortal, Alexander Corvinus, who was Victor's father. He was basically like some Highlander dude, and then he had two sons, and one was a vampire, and one was a lycan, and then their bloodlines created all of this stuff that we're dealing with today. But she met up with this guy, Alexander Corvinus. It turned out he was kind of cool. He was kind of a neat guy. He was getting murdered, and he was being killed by his own people, and he's like, this is a bad day for me. Celine, I want you to drink my blood as the first immortal and turn yourself into something completely different than a regular vampire. So she herself, in the second Underworld movie at the very end, or towards the end, drinks from Alexander Corvinus and turns herself into a hybrid vampire-slash-super-immortal character, essentially turning herself into an elder vampire, which she eventually calls herself that actual term. Ugh, sorry, lawsuit from uh, White Wolf. She calls herself <laughs> that at the end of the final movie, but what does that mean? She fights against Marcus, who's another super powerful vampire with super long, like, uh, what do you call it, like pointy things with bat wings attached to his head. You know, whatever those things are called. Some geologist or biologist or zoologist or somebody can tell me what those things are afterwards. I don't actually care because he impaled her with one of them straight on through the chest and he's like i got you you darn vampire much like morbius would probably be a little bit overconfident thinking he knows what she is but he doesn't she gets impaled what does she do she breaks off the piece of his body rips the thing out of herself and just chucks it away and then knocks him back into a rotating helicopter blade eviscerating him turning him into a pile of goo that thing i said she does to vampires she fought against a guy named quint who was a powerful werewolf, a very large, very powerful super werewolf. What did she do? She beat him and she smashed him and she shot him to create a hole in his body, knowing he was going to regenerate like Morbius did. This is the spawn point thing, because she took a grenade, pulled the pin, stuck it inside him, counted on him to heal up around it, so the grenade blast had nowhere to go, but all up inside Quint. And she absolutely took advantage of the fact that he regenerated to super destroy him. And yes, if you kill Morbius, he comes back. That's fantastic. But to what you said, Dan, if he starts coming back, she's just going to shoot him some more. And she's just going to shoot him some more. And she's just going to keep cutting pieces off as they reform, at least to the point of two minutes going by so that she could safely walk away, which is a criteria for victory in a who would win battle. But the biggest thing I want to talk about is the speed. She does have celerity. It's in the form of this ability that's very much like the blink power in the Dishonored video games. She blinks and she mini teleports a short distance away at a given moment. That's how she was able to pull the spine out of that werewolf I talked about earlier. He went in for the rushing charge. She blinked behind him, ripped out the spine. That's how she does it. In fact, I've seen her speed blitz a hallway of guards who were shooting at her while she was doing it with just a scalpel. And she speed blitzed all the way through the hallway, cutting all four of them with precision quality with that scalpel, murdering them all. At the end of the day, she's a killer, he's a scientist, and she's got every tool in her pocket that she needs, 
And on top of it, she's not just a vampire anymore. Those weaknesses do not matter because she is a hybrid. And that's my point number three. This is all awesome stuff. Here's the thing, though. You're talking about her as an elder vampire. You already kind of went over her strength feats and her enhanced feats in point number one. You know, the stuff, that really cool scene where she you know, ran into the van, flipped a number of times. That was when she was already enhanced. There was a lot of stuff that you did, which is great. I'm just kind of bringing that up there. You've already mentioned how enhanced and awesome she is. We get it. Very, very cool. The hallway scene you mentioned where she had the scalpel. By the way, sounds awesome. Sounds really cool. Were all those people human? Yes. Got it. So, again, to human opponents, she can move that fast. Again, not a slouch by any means, but, again, it's to a human opponent. And finally, quick question. How many times does Celine take on an opponent up close and personal? All the time. I'll be honest. You know, I, I, she does because she likes to shoot her guns at people at very, very close range. She, does, she's not, she doesn't do a lot of long-range kind of stuff. She likes to dance, jump around, jump and flip around people, and then just murderate them with those machine pistols. Got it. And she doesn't have unlimited ammo, correct? Like, she's great. She knows how to I've use it. I've never seen her run out. It's crazy. Oh, in the last movie, she would shoot. She was in that last scene in that really cool hallway where she's shooting that main villain. She's shooting the gun, blah, 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 runs that animal, and then just like an expert, by the way. She grabs another gun, blah, 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 runs out of Oh, grabs you know what? One. I do remember that scene. She did. I think she she could have kept firing it, but for style points, she wanted to shoot him and murder him with like 10 different weapons. Yes. <laughs> that's. You know what, Ray? You and I have had this discussion how many times when we want to murder rate someone, if that is in fact a term, mm-hmm. we go for style. We go for style, not go substance. Style. Why not? Right? We want to send a message to the kids at home. All right. Let me get to my point number three, because that was actually a really cool point for you. And uh, I feel weird doing this because I really like Celine, amazing character, but I got to do it. It's what we do here at Who Would Win. Let's talk about some big feats and some big wins. Okay, so what you have to understand, as amazing as the underworld universe is, if I can even use that term, the Marvel universe plays on a slightly different level when it comes to power and what power that beings have. There is no slouch in power whatsoever in the underworld universe. Okay, let me make that very, very clear as well. However, in the Marvel universe, there's a level of power, then there's a level of power, and just keep going, keep going, keep going. Morbius is that type of character who's played at the Spider-Man level and then gone way above and beyond, especially in the last 10 years, the way they've written the character. Let me explain. So some of the people he's beaten. He's beaten Blade, who is Marvel's ultimate vampire hunter. He's beaten Blade soundly, by the way. He's beaten Spider-Man quite a few times. We already went over that. He fought Venom to a standstill where the two got separated. But again, that's Venom who can tear stuff apart. In a crossover, Venom took on Superman and got the better of Superman for a while. That's who Morbius, through his way, through his style of fighting, was able to take on as well. Uh, Let's see. He fought Ghost Rider to a standstill as well. Again, when I say standstill, that means the, the fight... Whenever characters in Marvel fight to a standstill, typically that means they're eventually going to work together and become friendly in some way, shape, or form. But still, the fact that he fought Ghost Rider, two versions of Ghost Rider, twice to a standstill, and is now is absolutely fine, can withstand everything. Ghost Rider, the person who can take on Thor, and even beat Galactus, the person who eats planets, that shows you just how tough and how accomplished Morbius is. Let's see, he even fought and beat Doctor Strange the Sorcerer Supreme in the Marvel Universe. Now, of course, they again became friends later on. Doctor Strange even recruited him to the Midnight Suns, so now they're all cool with each other, whatever. But they did have some crazy fights, and Morbius does have some wins over Doctor Strange. But my favorite battle was when Morbius took on the X-Men. 
Now, the X-Men are crazy powerful. Love the X-Men. They're fantastic. And in this iteration, when he fought the X-Men, he took out three completely in taking on the team. Let's see. He took out, uh, I believe he took out Angel, who just has wings, whatever. Cool. Good fighter. Not a problem. He took out, I believe, Rachel, uh, Rachel Summers, the person who has a telepath and telekinesis. And then he took out Iceman, who is an Omega-level mutant. It's the favorite X-person, if you will, really no, of Race to Canis. Race to Canis has huge posters of Iceman all over his room. It's really cool. He and I love the X-Men. It's great. And Morbius took out all three of them while he was taking on the X-Men team as a whole. That is insane. So in case you really are wondering just how powerful Morbius is, he actually took on, tanked, a version of Marvel's most powerful weapons. I'm not talking about the Infinity Stones or Infinity Gauntlet. No, no, no. Remember, in the last 10 years, probably 15 years, Morbius has been written as a different power level of character than he was when he came out in the 1970s, I think 1971 or what have you. Okay, so there's a weapon called the Ultimate Nullifier. The Ultimate Nullifier... <laughs> I know, it's crazy. It is something that... I, I know what it is. Yeah. You know what it is. Okay, so it, it, in possession, when someone has a possession, when Galactus is coming to eat your planet and you have the ultimate nullifier, Galactus runs away. That is a fact. That's what it is. So someone came up and duplicated the ultimate... It had like an ultimate nullifier. And according to Marvel Wiki, I'm quoting all of this, the ultimate nullifier has been described as the universe's most devastating weapon. As such, the ultimate nullifier has the ability to completely and utterly eliminate... Any, any target the wielder chooses through violation of the law of conservation of mass. And if the wielder's mind isn't powerful enough, the wielder themselves. So in other words, to use it, if you don't have strong enough willpower, you're removed. It's like Bugs Bunny taking a big, huge eraser and pencil and erasing you from existence. That's what the ultimate nullifier can do. Guess who tanked that? That's right, Morbius. Morbius somehow, because now he's a mystical being, or at least a supernatural being, someone created a version of the ultimate nullifier. I don't think it was as powerful as the one that Galactus was afraid of, but still, it was an ultimate nullifier. It was something intended to remove Morbius from reality. Guess what? Morbius tanked it. He didn't feel great, didn't feel fresh and all that kind of good stuff, but he tanked it and got up, and he's like, let's keep doing this. That's how powerful Morbius is. He lives, unfortunately, in a universe that has a much higher power level. He does have to take on stronger opponents and more varied type of opponents who don't just stay within the physical realm of attacks. He's taken on machine guns. He's taken on tech. He's done all that kind of good stuff. He's just that awesome. That's my point number three. Now, James, I'm going to use my final rebuttal here to actually talk about some of the things that you weren't necessarily totally truthful about earlier or that you left out important details because that is very, very important. And that nullifier thing, that sounds absolutely insane. That sounds like a spiritual or soul-based attack, so I could see how him being a vampire maybe wouldn't be affected by it. I don't know. That just sounds like weird writing to me. But when he was able to turn himself into goo because he can't transform his body into different shapes and animals and stuff, he does not have that power he was actually possessed by a demon who granted him the ability to do that and he will not be possessed by that same demon today so the goo argument probably should be taken off the table also you talk about how he can recover from all the damage he's not exactly sitting here with a deadpool like factor it takes him upwards of an hour to recover from bullet wounds and it takes him a little bit of time to recover from being dead but that could also just be clinically dead but he also doesn't recover lost limbs and organs very well either 
either. You shoot off his arm, he's not just regrowing an arm within two minutes or whatever you're saying. So all of these bullet-based attacks that I'm talking about are actually going to be very, very effective against a character like Morbius, and I left out his one major weakness, the hunger. In order to do the things he does, and in order to recover from damage the way he's able to, it requires him to spend his quote-unquote energy. How does he replenish that energy? He has to drink blood. That is his one vampiric weakness is that in order to do a lot of fantastic things, he gets hungrier and hungrier. And when he gets very, very hungry, he loses control. He gets into a blind rage, loses his smarts, loses his tactics. And in fact, at the end of the day, becomes a ravenous monster like a werewolf in Underworld who could then be put down by Celine. So all she's got to do is just tag him a little bit, get him hungrier, keep dancing around, don't get hit, get him hungrier, and finally, pop, he's going to snap, lose his tactics, and that's when Celine puts him down. And that's all I have to say about Two that. things. He did get those powers through being possessed by a demon. He has retained those abilities. That's why I didn't go into too much details about changing shapes or whatever. He can still stretch himself out and form those kind of weird, cool things with his appendages. And also, if you're saying, oh, wow, if he expends too much energy, he needs to feed. I believe Celine has a similar thing where she needs to drink blood as well. Are we assuming that both these people are coming in at different levels of hunger where Celine is satiated no. and, and uh, uh, Morbius is like all of a sudden in dire need of blood? No, of course not. Well, they that would be if you want to put that on the table, James. I'm here for that I'm, argument right now. I would argue they both come in well fed. Oh, interesting, but interesting, but she doesn't lose the blood the same way he does in order to do his powers, and I think that's important. Not in a battle that's going like this. All right, Rachel and Dan, you've heard three points from Ray. You've heard three points from me. It's now time for you guys to take us through your process, take us on a journey, if you will, and tell us who wins this matchup between Morbius and Celine. Okay, so here's the deal. I think. The problem I have right now is that Morbius, right, has this long list of folks who he has gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with, right? Venom, Ghost Rider. So, like, the list of folks that Morbius has defeated is pretty impressive. But when I look at Selene, this is someone who for 700 years has been fighting werewolves. These are, these are close combatants, right? And, and that gives me a moment of pause in her favor. Like, for 700 years... She's been dealing with this, this, this type of uh, tactic. Now, werewolves can't fly, and they can't turn into, you know, goo, and they can't stretch their arms out. And they're also not, you know, geniuses. And we're also suggesting that Morbius is going to fail his rouse check faster. <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 for me, I'm, I'm starting them both at, you know, full blood, right? Yeah, Before but they're they full blood, but, it, but Morbius, if, if you're saying it's, he's got to spend a point of blood every time, he's got to make a rouse check every time he uses a power. Does Celine have to make rouse checks? Sure. She's using guns. She's using guns. Yeah, but she's moving around real fast. Well, that's true. That's you know, true. When, when she wants to flip over an SUV and, and you know, whatever. I, I feel like I want to grab some popcorn while I listen to you guys. This is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I, I think they're both spending blood. To, to do what they got to do, right? If we're looking at this like mechanically, I I, I want to put them on sort of an even. I want to roll field. some dice. Like, right? where, where's my dice out? You know, right? You know, she's she's an elder through essentially diablerie, right? Through some yeah. special woo woo. Does that mean she has elder powers then? We were not informed of any sort of elder level powers. We were informed True. that she could flip over an SUV and she can you know essentially move so fast she can blink. Because we you understand, if, if we're doing elder level fortitude, which we've already established that Celine has fortitude, mm -hmm. she can lose all of her health and regain it all back again. 
She could. She could. But I remember Underworld 1, her having to, like, like the Michael, the dude, ends up, like, trying to take care of her and pulling a bullet out. Although that was before she became the, the super hybrid. Mm. Mm. I have to nix the humanity argument because as soon as, like, Michael walks on the street, Celine's, like, her brain is toast. She's like, the one sad thing I have about Celine is that she is like flummoxed by the boys. He's a really cute boy. I'm just he, saying. He is a cute boy, but I'm just saying for all, for, for 700 years of killing werewolves and she sees one cute boy and she's like, oh, well, now I've got to change my entire life. I do think Celine's willingness to, to murder face is superior for sure. Yeah. I mean, if Morbius is going to have second thoughts about final blow. Right. Right. Final kill. Celine's always going to take the final blow. Right. I think it's real. Sh I think it's tough. But my vote, my vote's with Celine. My, my vote is that Celine can probably put him down quick enough and then camp that spawn point, put a grenade down, do something, set it on fire. I don't know quite how, you know, drill a hole around it and pour it in cement, something. That's, that's my mm. vote. Mm. However, she uses the same tactics every single time. Morbius well, is going to That's because no they work. <laughs> you don't think the Nobel Prize winning scientist is going to see the tactic and be able to do the math? If he beat Doctor Strange. Ugh, okay, I want to know how the heck he, he beat Doctor Strange, but that's a... Mercilessly. That's it's not a fun read. <laughs> I mean, you talk like Celine is not love her. She's not bright. She's a broadsword and not a scalpel, though she has right. Used scalpels. Right. And Morbius, Nobel Prize winner. All right. So in my brain, I think that Morbius is going to try and defeat Celine through through brute strength by trying to fly around, close the gap, uh, beat her down, claw her down, something like that. I think she is going to evade him, put him uh, a bunch of bullets. Use the train to her advantage. Use her 700 years of murder facing to her advantage to, to put him in a position where she can finally get the upper hand, bash his brain and chop him up, do something, and then camp that spawn point. What happens when he protects himself behind like a fire escape or something, sure, uses like his stretchy arms to rip her guns out of her hand and she no longer has guns? Well, then she just switches to her other guns <laughs> or, 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 or her broadsword that she occasionally has or her right. or her razor disc thingies that she throws around. And, I'll, and he just keeps plucking every weapon away. So if we get down to a fist on fist fight, then then she loses. She loses. She loses. I, I can see that point. So is Morbius going to be able to disarm Kybit Selene? really like Kybit. I know you do. This is this is kind of painful for you. <sighs> the fact that Morbius has defeated very agile characters like Spider-Man does give me a moment of pause. Even Venom's a little a little agile. I will concede that without her pistols and if Morbius can close the gap, she's in real trouble. Which is probably very likely considering every movie she gets her hands dirty. Because she doesn't have her guns and ends up having to beat someone half to death with. Listen, I know this is painful, but it's got to be done. <laughs> Rachel and Dan, who wins this battle between Morbius and Celine? 
It's Morbius. It's the Nobel Prize oh. winning Morbius. Ladies and gentlemen, I got to tell you, the only genius I'm feeling right now is from our guest judges. This was an insane battle. <laughs> insane battle. I got to tell you, in my heart, Ray, we've had this discussion before. After the show, we're like, yeah, I actually kind of see this or what have you. When I did the math for this, as great as Celine is, because she is absolutely fantastic, no doubt about it, my math always goes to Morbius. Ray, how do you feel about this decision? Look, I have great respect for our esteemed judges this week. <laughs> At least one of them who came up with the proper decision on their own. Obviously, I'm greatly disappointed. This could have been the end of season three, ending with our ultimate Ray victory off into the sunset. Let's fire up the marching band. No, I, I'm sorry. Marching band, you gotta go. You gotta go. It's not gonna happen. Put down the symbol. What I'm trying to say is this is an absolute disappointment because I already know the uphill battle I face next week. I gotta tell you, I was nervous because I need to win this season. And I know whatever's gonna happen next week, I have a feeling the character I may rep, it's gonna be a crazy battle. I needed this win. I couldn't have Ray. You guys actually saved my who would win life so to speak, from despair, wow. from torture, from race to canis. No one wants that, by the way. There's a reason he's not allowed to any into any Burger King in the greater Los Angeles metropolitan area. <laughs> they make me use the drive-thru. It's I true. Did. And the bathroom. The point is, you guys are awesome. All right. Okay. This I, I, I can't tell you how happy I am right now. This was a nail-biter. The, the back and forth, the two judges. When Ray said, I got an idea, let's bring two judges for this show. And the Hoodwin team's like, let's back Ray in this. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work. I'll tell you how it worked. Fantastic. You two were amazing. You brought this great, deep vampire lore knowledge into play. And the whole our Legion of Audience is going to love this absolutely great job please come back and be judges again either individually or together again and i hope your marriage stays strong after this show with all that <laughs> there will Anytime. be a conversation after this oh show my gosh. <laughs> dan you may want to use that blink uh, ability appear one place and okay cool all right guys now please tell our audience the legion of audience our fan base where they can find you where they can find and listen to port saga an amazing show i'm not even calling an audio drama podcast i'm just gonna call it a show because that's what it is to me it's a much bigger thing in my sure. mind where can our audience listen to that and where can they find you online they can find port saga at racheljwilkinson.com it is on youtube spotify apple any podcast player that you want to use and uh, yeah so that's where you could find port saga and you can find the show at port saga on twitter i think it's vtm port saga on facebook there's rachel and dan we're on tiktok like we are not hard to find <laughs> very cool all right race to canis well done. Well done, my friend. This was another well-debated uh, you know, episode. You came up just a little bit short, and I'm, I'm emphasizing little. Where can people find you and regale in all great things that are race to Canis? Now, normally, when we're in this situation, I've got something to say to the judge, uh -huh. never before judges, of contempt, of rage, of bearing my soul because I can be an emotional person. But I am such a fan of the Port Saga show, and it basically resulted in me convincing one judge but not the other, which means I really did sort of win this battle, if you really think about it. So I'm going to save that for next week 
and I'm going to save it all for jubilation. I'm going to rehire the marching band. I'm going to bring all the heat because if you're a fan of the Who Would Win show, you can look to the end of season one. You can look to the end of season Uh two, and you can get a pretty good idea what I'm up against at the end of season three next week. I can only hope that judge hates Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) You can find me on Twitter at Almighty Ray. This one's going to sting a little bit, but I can't worry about that. I've got to put my head in the books and come out strong for the finale. Ray, listen, you brought it hard this year. You did fantastic. You've been up in your game. And uh, all I've done so far with the win tonight is buy myself a little bit of time. I got to know what's going to happen next week. I'm dying to know. I'm a little scared just to put that out there. With that being said, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gavsey. Remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Sicanis, the geek and game community, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win team, thank you once again for listening to another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. What's up, everyone? Brian here, host of the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast. It's a trivia-style podcast focusing on TV and movies. Listen in for questions like, what's the name of Michael Scott's screenplay? What do you say to view the Marauder's map? What are Tony Stark's last words to Thanos in Avengers Endgame? And where does Ron Burgundy say he is when he calls the news station sobbing from a phone booth? I've covered The Office, Harry Potter, Marvel, Will Ferrell movies, Lord of the Rings, and more, with even more on the way. So play along to the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast anywhere you get podcasts, and stay tuned for more trivia! Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.